Welcome, everyone, to another exciting edition of the Directors Club podcast, and I am your host, Jim Laskowski. And with me today are two of the smartest people I know. And I'm also really lucky because I get to call them my friends. <laughs> we, uh, we have another return appearance from our previous guest everyone knows and loves. Kate Blair, welcome back to the show again. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here for this one. I know, right? You, you were, you were, when did we do uh, Celine Skiyama? Like in November, was it? Something like that. Yeah. Wow. What is time anyway? <laughs> I, I don't know, right? And it, uh, I feel like uh, Chantal Ackerman is really interesting to think about right now after quarantine. Whoa. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, undoubtedly. Um, also joining us for the first time, the founder and creator of the Mental Filmness Film Festival, Sharon Jissy. Hello. Oh, it's actually Gissy. Gissy. Yeah. Let's try that again. <laughs> it's, okay. it's a weird name. Gissy. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. Um, yeah. It works. It's very unique. <laughs> and yeah, also thank you for um, having me here. Um, I'm really, uh, yeah, I'm really honored and um, what an interesting director and topic. So I'm really glad I got to kind of dig into it a little bit. Uh, it's, it's kind of long overdue yeah. for you to be on since we've been, you know, uh, really good friends for quite a while a couple years right yeah. it's at least been a couple of years uh and you know I, I i know you're dedicated and you do your research you're very thorough you're a great librarian uh you're you're, you're marching forward uh but tell people a little bit about your film festival when is it and where, where can people find out about it and stuff? Oh, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, it has a website. It's just pretty straightforward. It's mentalfilmness.com. Um, also has a Facebook page. Um, neither one of those have been very active as of now because it's in um, October. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I try to plan it around World Mental Health Day, which is always October ah. 10th. But um, yeah, the Film Freeway uh, link should be up on both of those places. So if you want to submit a film, you can um, there. And um, yeah, I've been going through some of them. Um, I'll do a lot more soon. But we always get a lot of really interesting entries from all over the globe, really. Oh, for sure. And it was it was great to help select the first run and watch a lot of these films including when we weren't in quarantine you got to host this at uh, an actual venue oh yeah i should great. mention yeah i feel like that's still kind of uncertain the first year was at comfort station in logan square and then uh last year i did it uh through eventive um so it was a, like mo like pretty much everything <laughs> a virtual streaming festival so um this year, I'm guessing it will still be online, but, you know, we'll see whether we're able to maybe have a small gathering in Chicago or not. Yeah, we'll have to be socially distanced and wearing masks yeah. probably, but, you know, it's okay. It's worth it. And it's for a good cause. And you bring a lot of attention and awareness to, uh, you know, something that a lot of people struggle with, including the director. <laughs> um and I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable to, to choose this filmmaker and learn like, I, usually I have 
some knowledge or I've seen at least some of the films. This is kind of incredibly fresh for me. I had not seen one of her films, even though I knew one of them in particular was quite renowned Mm -hmm. and everybody was like, you have to see it. You have to see it. I'm like, I see the running time. I'm like, uh, (laughs) uh, maybe I will see it soon. Yeah. It's intimidating. Yeah. It's a little bit like, um, it's the Rivette film that just came out on Criterion. It's one of your favorites, right? Sharon? Oh yeah, that's a, that's about three and a half hours long, isn't it? Somewhere around yeah. there in that neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. I still need to see that. <laughs> that's been at the top of my list for a long time, but the running time has uh, put me off of it. <laughs> but I really do want to see that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, Chantal um, Ackerman who it's not French, as I originally said on the last episode. Uh, I think I just assumed that for some reason, but she's in fact Belgian and most known for a film we will definitely be talking about. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of mispronunciation. I'm, <laughs> I'm warning people up front. I, I, sometimes I, I think that, yeah, maybe I should you know, actually uh, find somebody who can speak French <laughs> sometimes just to help me out a little bit, but that's okay. That's okay. People are used to that. Um, I'm glad I'm not the I'm, only one who is worried about that. But I try. I tried to look some up, but yeah, I'm sure I'll get some wrong. We'll probably just refer to the Jean Dielman without having to say the whole thing every time. I would say. Yeah, uh, I think that's how most people refer to it in shorthand. Yes, and I'm also certain she's going to need a sequel episode because. There are so many films, especially her documentaries, that I didn't get a chance to dive into extensively the way I wanted to. But one of them worked really beautifully for me. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I will say for a fact that I'm excited to talk about this director. And I'm sure the listeners are, are going to learn a lot. But, um, you know, for me, like the, the, the joy of this show is also um, j- discovering somebody's work in a way that uh, you know, you never would have expected like the, the, these are films that much like the one I want to talk about for the what we watch segment. You've never seen anything like them before. And you almost have to completely reacclimate how you watch a movie while you're watching them. Mm-hmm. It's like it's I, I really want to see John Dealman on the big screen where I have no opportunity to pick up my phone. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I should have just like locked it away completely. But <laughs> You know, it's so easy to just be like, oh, I want to I want to tell somebody what I'm watching and tell, <laughs> share my reaction right away. But anyway, it's this is exciting. Um, it'll be more of a general conversation about the work because, uh, you know, more recently, I ch- kind of go back to the old format of choosing two or three films to talk about. But this, you know, we've seen a lot and, you know, we've also. Oh, boy, <laughs> there's so much to talk about with all the films that we've seen but it's kind of gonna i'm gonna try my best to keep it in at least in chronological order if we can do it that way um because like i think it would be very limiting if we only just talked about two or three films and i know we've seen more than that so that's kind of where we're going and you know uh let's just go let's go into the what we watch segment you guys ready yes yes yeah Turn on a movie. Watch 200 cigarettes in her shoes and Marnie. Celine and Julie go boating. 
Annie the good thief a Neighbor's good time mother Dead and buried A hundred and one Dalmatians Half-baked and pristine Now it's time to talk about what we watched recently Just watch too many movies, yeah. What did we just watch? Ron Watkins is cute. Okay, cool. Um, so you know, I'm gonna go first this time. Usually, I'm like, let's just have the guests go first. But I, I wanted to mention this particular film, because uh, <laughs> I had not, again, I have not seen anything like it, and it is, it is last year at Marion Bad. Oh yeah. Oh that yeah, that's a good one for this episode too. And it's funny because I had no idea. <laughs> like I didn't really do research on it before I started watching it to know that yeah, the <laughs> Delphine Sayrig is the uh sort of the obs- <laughs> I was about to say the obscure object of desire uh <laughs> in this film. And yeah, and she's also in uh Bunuel's uh discreet charm of the bourgeoisie which is now one of my all-time top 20 favorite movies because uh, I, I watched that for the first time last year and it blew me away. I need to see more Boonwell. But um, this film is by Elaine <laughs> Renoir? Rez- oh, I can't say. This one, this one I have looked up before. It's Alain Renier, something Renier. like that. Okay, mm-hmm. Renier. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. This is, again, kind of a challenging film it's non-narrative and it it's sort of when i was watching i was like this is kind of like a french new wave terrence malick movie because it sort of just cuts randomly to various images and it's kind of about like dislocation it intersperses people standing still while other characters are in movement at times like they're frozen or something it, and there's barely a plot in the traditional sense so it reminded me of the way david lynch would use dream logic to mm-hmm. convey emotions of the subconscious. It's very difficult to decode. It's something where I'm like, I really enjoyed the experience of watching it, but I'm not exactly sure what it's trying to say for its thesis. And that's fine. <laughs> Cause like scenes sort of float and cut in and out of each other, almost like a time loop fashion. Like sometimes they're walking down a hall. Other times they're walking down this, like geometric garden or something and they it, it just like you don't always know where you're at and i'm and then i think that's the point because it is about the fragility of fractured memory and you know what 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 does this mean when these two people are interacting and certainly it it plays very interestingly in light of watching chantal ackerman's work because it is about a man basically like trying to convince this woman, hey, we, we had this affair last year, and why don't you remember it? <laughs> like That's kind of, kind of what I'm getting from the movie anyway. I might be projecting a little bit, but that's at least my perception of this male figure trying to like essentially uh, <laughs> control almost her, her memory, you know? And mm-hmm. yeah, and, but it also felt like... <laughs> I guess because it was hypnotic, it felt like visiting a hypnotherapist because it has this like soothing voiceover, you know, at times where it's just like, wow, is this ASMR? 
or something. It's like, whoa, this is really soothing too, the way this man is talking. But like I said, he's also trying to convince this woman that they've met before and there's no certainty whether that's factual or not. So it's like a blurring blend of, you know, uh, all sorts of things that this man is conveying to her. And you, and again, it jumps in and out of time. And that's kind of what I like about this director's work that I've seen, which would also include Hiroshima Monomore, mm-hmm. Je Tame, Je Tame, which uh, involves literal time travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one is confounding. It really is. But it's, it's also mesmerizing because, again, you're sort of displaced and not sure where you are and whether you believe this man and I don't know if it was entirely like emotionally satisfying, but I don't know if it's meant to be that either. What do you think, Kate, about this one? Have you seen it? I have a few times, but it's been a while. Um, I just remember what I remember most about it is like less the people and more like the architecture of the place they're in. Um, yeah, for especially sure. Especially the just like the topiary and these like really geometric kind of visuals. Um so yeah, I, rem- I don't remember a whole lot about the plot such as it is, um, but I also have this vague memory um, or of like my interpretation of it being that like she maybe does remember, but is kind of pretending she doesn't or is like lying to herself in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's very, it is very confounding and very, very much a puzzle. And I think um it's one of his earlier movies, right? I think they yeah. get a little bit less um, sort of puzzling as they go on and kind of have more of a, an emotional context or content. Um, I know like Hiroshima Matamora is one of my favorite movies and I respond to that one a whole lot more. Me too. Even though Delphine Zarig is one of my favorite actresses. Um, I just adore her. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it's a really, really beautiful movie. I think at the time it came out, it was a game changer because people weren't used to this style you know i mean there's a little bit of an hiroshima monomore in terms of jumping around and you know uh, but but there there is context to everything that's taking place and i think it influenced this you know i marion bad influenced a lot of filmmakers kubrick varda rivette bergman (laughs) you know just like they all said oh you can do this hmm interesting okay yeah and and definitely david lynch like especially for like inland empire i think there's a lot of displacement with laura dern's character in that that i think is really powerful at times and yet like i said i i think i feel more strongly about the other two films of his that i've seen and i want to see more for sure um and the other one really quickly is barbara loden's only film Mm. wanda and i just caught up with it last night and uh was pretty floored by it i i had a hard time <laughs> sort of comprehending her decision to be with this bank robbing asshole because he was such a dick i'm just like why do you want to i don't know why do you want to be with this guy that's the thing that kind of it, it took i mean obviously i sort of went with it and just sort of submitted almost in the way that she does just like gave in to like okay this is the logic of just i'm gonna be with this asshole and just go wherever like she's like almost surrendering yeah to, that's really true to just you know whatever comes her way and it's it's a little sad <laughs> to watch i mean just like 
oh man, you, uh, you can do better. That's, you know, there's so much you could do. And, but you know, it ends in this really sad note of her being in a, like feeling alone in a crowded bar. And I, I think that, that feel that ending on that image is really strong for sure. Um, Sharon, what do you think of Wanda? And I actually have seen haven't it? seen Wanda. I've seen last year, Mary, Mary and Dad. Oh, I that's right. I'm sorry. I, forgot to, I forgot to ask. But <laughs> no, you saw okay. that. <laughs> I was just laughing. No, it's fine. I was going to say something similar to what Kate said. Is I haven't seen it in quite a while, but my memory of it was different. I didn't feel like the man was coercing her in any way. I felt it was more about time, time and memory, and you know something that may or may not have happened. But yeah, it's just. Mm. I don't know. I yeah, I just didn't get that same perspective. But um, I again, I haven't seen quite a while, and I could see like watching it in the light of the Chantal Ackerman, how you might not (laughs) necessarily (laughs) trust the male narrator. But um, yeah, but actually, I have been wanting to see Wanda for a very long time. But I was kind of surprised. I thought it was wasn't it about kind of like um like women's labor or something like that? Or it starts out that way. It definitely starts that way, but then she kind of goes on this detour, maybe 20, 30 minutes in, hmm. and it really just becomes about almost like a, not like Bonnie and Clyde, but she just hooks up with this, you know, guy that she sort of stumbles upon haphazardly because she needs to use the, the restroom at a bar. And this guy just happens to be there robbing the place and trying to cover it up. And so he, he just sort of like takes her along and, mm. but he treats her so terribly. I'm just like, ah, when I, really when I hard to it, it reminded me a lot of Kelly Reichert's River of Grass. Ooh, like, yeah, River of Grass was like a, like a remake of it. And I wasn't aware they were like very similar to me in a lot of ways. Definitely. Yeah. You're, yeah. Good, good call. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I think, I think Kelly Reichert's definitely influenced by that film and uh, yeah. Ackerman's work as well, for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Kate, what have you seen recently besides Ackerman films? Holly, yours are really good. Um, <laughs> I think the one that I decided to talk about, um, I think the the one I've seen most recently that really stuck with me was Rachel Getting Married. Have you all seen that I one? Have. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not in a long time. I, I got to rewatch that for sure. Cause I love Demi. So yeah, me too. Um, and there, there was just like so much that I loved about that movie. Um, I think I avoided it for a long time because, uh, I knew that, um, that Anne Hathaway's character would be difficult to watch. And she is, she's, she like nails that cringe kind of, um, like, uh persona very well um the just out of rehab and very um sort of accidentally uh centering herself a little bit too much maybe at her sister's wedding um but there's also a lot of it just struck me as very realistic the way um weddings can bring out all of these really intense emotions and families um and then I loved how being a Jonathan Demi movie, it was punctuated with performance. So whenever things get really intense, there'll just be like a soul band or like um, like jazz music. Um, and it just felt very real. Um, yeah, I loved it a lot. Yeah, and Deborah Winger's in it. I, I think that yeah. was at a time when, yeah, it had been a while since we'd seen her. 
Yeah, I don't. I'm not really familiar with that actress. I knew her name, um, and I thought she did great, but I don't really know her that well. Yeah, she's most known for uh, Terms of Endearment, which, um, ooh, that's that's a tearjerker if there ever was one. But it's one of those that you know, like, oh, you think you're gonna lump it in with Fried Green Tomatoes and Steel Magnolias or something, but it's, and not to say that like I don't appreciate those movies, especially for their portrayals of uh, female friendships. But the terms of endearment just like kind of blew my mind when I saw it. And, and similar to, you know, James L. Brooks's work with uh, broadcast news. I just think mm-hmm. that he's an, a phenomenal screenwriter. And uh, and yeah, no, I mean, I, I can see even a little bit of James L. Brooks influence for, for Demi's film here and just how real things get. And sometimes you're laughing and cringing at some of the behavior <laughs> taking place yeah. throughout um i want to say was it was it written was it written by sydney lumet's daughter i i want to say like i feel like that let me see if i'll look it up to see if i'm right i know i know it is written by a woman um yes i I was right oh my sorry i got too excited sorry (laughs) yeah the writing is great um and it grounds the whole thing very well no but i definitely need to revisit that because i remember loving it when it came out yeah, I probably will too, because yeah, there's a lot a lot of depth to it. It's probably still my favorite Anne Hathaway performance. Yeah, she's she's excellent. Yeah, for sure. Sharon, did uh were you a fan of this one? Yeah, I actually um I was just thinking about I actually saw that at Ebert Fest a few years ago and um I do it has kind of like a Cassavetes like to me like realism mm. and character study of this you know addicted or, or former addict and it has a lot of moments it, it was balanced really well with you know how kind of close she is to her family where there's also still that tension there um you know because she she i don't know i don't want to give away any spoilers but she, she had like a family right. accident um a while mm. back that um due to her addiction you know and that's kind of strained things a little bit and um but yeah no i feel like it it would really got those things very accurately uh portrayed the the, you know the addiction and the family how that kind of changed the family dynamics a little bit yeah absolutely and yeah the um the spoiler (laughs) that i won't i won't talk about it either but it's, I felt like it, it was dealt with very well in a way that um, it might have been sort of too much, um, but it actually added a lot of depth to this movie, I think. And I was kind of surprised by that. Um, it wasn't, I don't know, um, like a trauma porn kind of thing where it really could have gone that way, I think. Yeah, no, it was mostly kind of in the background. It was kind of like really tastefully done. It only came up like a couple. Well, I get you get the feeling some time has passed, but yeah, it's uh, you know, it it definitely wasn't. Uh, that's a good way to say it. it wasn't trauma porn. It wasn't like in your face or you know too melodramatic or anything like that. Yeah, and the way the family, um, their different reactions to it, it just it all felt very real. Yeah. So I appreciated it a lot. Yeah, uh, while it's on HBO Max, and uh, that was why I watched it. Yep, <laughs> this I might just watch this tonight. <laughs> it's been so long, so uh, yeah, it's 
gosh, it's a special film. I, I, you know, I wasn't on for the uh, Jonathan Demi episode. That was back when uh, I had two other hosts, Brad and Al, take over the show. And uh, that was one episode I was like, yeah, I should have been on. <laughs> uh, yeah. I love everything uh, about that director for sure. Um, Sharon, your turn. <laughs> what did you see recently? I was trying to think of something highbrow and impressive, but it's mostly been these movies I've been watching. Um, yeah, I, I did watch um, the, the HBO QAnon. <laughs> documentary (laughs) i got kind of addicted to that um that was really interesting um because it wasn't really what i thought it would be instead of kind of focusing on the followers it was more about you know the kind of internet culture that helped create this this phenomenon and um you know how people are so just don't trust the media and so it's very easy for them to kind of latch on to something that, um, you know, goes viral and seems to kind of explain things in a weird way. And then also to me, another really interesting um, aspect of it was the whole, um, you know, 8chan kind of standing for this idea of freedom of speech on the internet. But where is the level where the freedom of speech kind of tips over in the hate speech or being dangerous, you know, and they talked about that, um, that law, I think it's section 230, um, where a website cannot be held liable for anything that's published, that's published on the website. So, um, you know, that leads to all these things, algorithms, you know, looking for, um, you know, certain groupings of words because they're too big to monitor everything. So, I mean, that that actually kind of, <laughs> I felt like it raised some interesting ideas, even though, you know, it's, it's a little bit of sensationalism to it, I guess. Um, other than that, yeah, other than these, like, I guess I've been kind of like, you know, watching a lot of escapism, one thing. And I know Jim and I disagree about this movie, but I've watched it. Oh, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I've watched this. I, I have to give it to like uh, Psycho Gorman a couple times, which is just a really fun kind of parody of an 80s, you know, kind of like kids uh, finding weird stuff, but they actually happen upon this kind of like monster. Um, <laughs> it's really like, oh, really, um, I know this. <laughs> who's a really vicious monster. And that's kind of like the joke, the main joke, but um it was done by uh, Stephen Kostansky, who was like one of the big guys in the Astron 6 collective, who I'm a big fan of, this kind of Canadian, you know, troupe that does these really, really fun, funny parody movies, and they replicate the style really well, I feel like. So, I mean, I've just... <laughs> Oh, These are my reason. art movies I've been watching, and then I guess the other stuff has been kind of more kind of lowbrow and fun. But yeah, those are to be perfectly honest, <laughs> those are two things I've watched recently that I've enjoyed. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I just had to mention. We don't have to debate it, but I do. I really enjoy that movie, and I'm not the only one. <laughs> uh, lots of people love yeah. it. <laughs> I don't but know. Is that a recent movie or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel like on like one of those horror blogs, I might have read a review. That's very likely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a port like a positive review. <laughs> <laughs> See. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't seen it though. 
That's fine. Where do you? Where would I watch it if I wanted to watch it? Is it streaming somewhere? I think I saw it on Amazon. Yeah, the all my okay. Amazon. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was interesting. I'm, I'm, I think I have to watch it stoned because, <laughs> like the, like the humor just. Mm, I don't know why I didn't find it that funny. Like it's, I guess it's an acquired taste, and obviously it's subjective. But I, it was kind of like. What if Troma made the gate in the Monster Squad? That's kind of what I like. You're kind of selling me on it, Jim. This sounds good to me. <laughs> no, most people love it. And I, I don't know. Maybe I was in a bad mood or something. I, like, I can't explain. It's one of those things. Like every once in a while, there'll be this big pop cultural like touchstone that everybody's kind of going, "Oh, this is awesome. I loved it, and it's great." And I'm kind of like, "Huh? What? I I don't I don't get it. What's wrong?" <laughs> you know it happens and i'm not like poo-pooing on people who do like it i i just kind of went hmm it's it's i like i like the idea and it was it's similar to how i felt about turbo kid where it was just kind of like i don't know kind of gimmicky <laughs> you know yeah, yeah i could see that i think it does it a lot of it boils down to whether you respond to the humor well most of it i would say you know and I just like I feel like they have a good like an absurdist humor. Actually, I don't think your description was too far off, but I feel like their sense of humor is a little more um, subtle and absurdist than trauma. Trauma just seems more sure, sure, sure in your face. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, yeah, more <laughs> gross, more outlandish. Funny. Yeah, more gross. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think it was all that gross or gory or a little bit here and there, but yeah, yeah. It's all right. I mean, <laughs> watch it again sometime. But I know. I mean, like, like the QAnon thing is fascinating. And you mentioned more of the macro level machinations of everything that surrounds it. To me, it's a fascinating character study too. On top of it, like Jim Watkins, Ron Watkins, and uh, uh, Frederick uh, Brennan are just like insane characters to watch for, and it's like i couldn't i i some of the things they were doing obviously i don't don't abide by and i think are kind of reprehensible uh particularly ron and jim i don't like those people <laughs> they're interesting i think yeah. i think uh puppy agrees with me on that oops yeah <laughs> it's fine but i mean like i don't know i understand why people get caught up in message boards and certainly during the Trump administration, why people like people sort of created this community to express their political ideology and the beliefs that they have. But at the same time, like it made me angry, but I couldn't stop watching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, but it really gets, I don't know, like the last two episodes was like, I don't know. I felt really, involved in a way that i hadn't planned on like at most for the most part like especially the first couple episodes i'm mostly like rolling my eyes or kind of laughing or going oh that's a good point that's interesting and the conspiracy theory stuff i'm like oh my god people <laughs> yeah. but but then by the last two episodes i'm kind of like i was a little invested in you know in in frederick you know being able to escape his lawsuit oh right, right. That, that's yeah. actually really heavy you know like I was like, oh my gosh, he's, is he gonna make it on time? And like, there's all these factors of him being able to uh, get to LA and all that stuff. It was just, it was interesting for the director to sort of insert himself 
into that. I mean, he does throughout the entire yeah. documentary series. But at that point, he got really personally involved. You know, like he really like sacrificed himself <laughs> to to help out Frederick. You know, I found that really interesting, and certainly. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's like spoiler territory, <laughs> because really there's like happened. articles written about it already. <laughs> yeah, you know, it happened in real life, uh, but I, I don't know. I personally believe it's that uh, you know Ron took over and stole Q's identity at one point. So yeah. I think, I think he is Q. Yeah, it becomes a really certainly. Story, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh no, just. I think the director, the way he'll just like linger on these people's faces and they'll like just kind of blink very nefariously. Like you can tell they're lying yeah. or just very much <laughs> lying. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially, um, what is his name? You just said it, but I can't remember. Um, Ron, this Ron. Ron, yeah, yeah. He just seems very squirrely, especially when, mm-hmm. when he's like, no, I, I don't know who it is. <laughs> and then he'll just blink a lot. <laughs> Or do a little yeah. laugh. You think it's me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That uh, that guy drove me bonkers. <laughs> but in a good way. That's the thing. It's like that's that's it's compelling throughout. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was it didn't need to be six episodes long, but I think that's that's the case with for like a lot of these documentary series in general. It's like, I don't know, are are they too long? I didn't yeah. feel long. But. It felt a little long to me, but I also really, really like the intro song. I don't know mm. what it is about that song. It definitely it has like this crazy circus music feel that really like puts your mind in the conspiracy zone. <laughs> I enjoy it a lot. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm kind of I'm kind of a sucker now for a lot of these documentary series that comes out. I mean, sometimes it's true crime stuff, and that's that's really easy to get sucked sucked into uh but this one was really interesting and in that it explored something i again i knew very little about but i kind of knew it was out there anyway like obviously i'd heard of 4chan and 8chan and all that stuff but i'm glad it's out there <laughs> yeah. i think it's really interesting yeah. to talk about and watch and certainly hear different reactions from people and well you know Things things certainly didn't turn out in these believers' favor <laughs> in the end. So I'm like, well, maybe they're all lost souls now. Who knows? I don't know. But that was cool. All right. Um, we can take a break if you want, because we're going to talk about Chantal Ackerman. Chantal Ackerman. Such a special woman. With film so controlled, yeah. Groundbreaking cinema you'll never forget. Her name is Chantal Ackerman. Jean Dillman is so perfect, yeah. Her name is Chantal. To the Criterion Channel as fast as you can. Yeah. 
Chantal Ackerman. Wow. What a director. I, <laughs> I it, like throughout most of the viewings I had, I was kind of rendered speechless at the end. And, you know, th- there were a couple I didn't, you know, respond to as strongly as some. And I think that's inevitable when you're binging on a lot of, the, a lot of work and she made a lot of work for sure. Uh, a lot of it, you know, for people who aren't familiar uh, is on the Criterion channel, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Thank God for that service. (laughs) (laughs) That was was really helpful. Oh, for sure. But in the words of the director herself, she once said, if I have a reputation for being difficult, it's because I love the everyday and I want to present it. In general, people go to the movies precisely to escape the everyday. And that, (laughs) like, especially Jean Dielman, I was watching him like, oh my God my mom would absolutely hate watching this (laughs) because you know that's primarily why you know why she wants to watch movies is to escape life in general and i I think that would drive her because she i've seen her peel potatoes you know and it's like she would hate that moment (laughs) to watch that in a movie i do that every day i don't need to see it uh but no i like um chantal ackerman saw Jean-Luc Godard's Pierre Le Fou and wanted to become a filmmaker. Uh, she emerged at a time when there were very few women making experimental films or any, or any films for that matter. And she sort of employs this like formal minimalism at times with this sort of documentary approach to represent just this sort of straightforward or banal existence you know, it's it's clear she struggled uh, at times with, with with mental health and depression. You know, she left us too young at the age of 65, but there are lots of work that you can certainly go through, and we're going to go through some of it here. Um, you know, first up, I really wanted to talk about this short film she made when I believe she was 18 in, like, this confined space of her own apartment, showcasing, like, this nervous breakdown but kind of in this she described as wanting to do something chaplain-esque at the time that's funny yeah but it's like you know she's externalizing the internal in this really uh intense manner but it's also got this really sort of dark humor going on and she's stumbling around in her kitchen and being drunk and you know uh like to me, a lot of her work is kind of like this rejection of domesticity and certainly not falling into routines and patterns, but inevitably we all do. But I, I think this this first like short film, when I watched it, is kind of like this this kind of says a lot about her, I'm sure. Like she's being really honest and really personal about what might go on inside of her. Uh, so I think it's interesting just to start there because it's it really indicates where she goes eventually with her work. What uh, what do you guys think? Uh, Sharon, let's start with you this time. Okay. I'm new to this whole, I'm not sure when I should be <laughs> butting in. But um, yeah, I think um, 
I think you said it really well that it really, to me, like encapsulates a lot of her themes, like right off the bat, um, you know, um, this, uh, almost there, there's this kind of like compulsive behavior, you know, and the, uh, the suicidal instinct and, um, and yeah, a big part of that revolves around her kitchen and then domestic chores, which it, it, you know, it feels like something that's kind of taken and you see this in uh john dealman too where it's kind of like um domestic uh chores taken to their extreme to the point where they become compulsive you know like she starts doing the and i can almost see it like chaplain as she starts uh you know uh shining or blacking her boots and then she gets all over her leg like she's got to work so hard and then the other really unnerving thing about it is that there's this kind of like you know that uh loud like manic humming that's coming like she's not doing it it's like a voice voiceover kind of thing and it gets louder and this la 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 kind of it's very it's very unnerving and um but at the same time, there is kind of like a dark humor to it. It's almost like this, you know, I don't know, uh, her kind of doing her idea of what she should, what she should be doing. I almost see like, this is me being a, you know, a responsible adult. I'm putting, I'm making spaghetti, <laughs> but um, it's kind of, it's like breaking, breaking down or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, what an, in the, the fact that you can say so much like that about a short film that someone made when they were 18 years old is pretty astounding, <laughs> you know? It really is. I, I yeah, I kind of marveled at it. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, obviously it's a debut work, but it's still saying so much. And I know she spoke about like the, uh, the important influence on her work was her maternal grandmother painted these large canvases, which showed women who appeared to be looking out at the viewer. And I think that also speaks volumes about her tendency to, you know, use the female gaze in really interesting ways. And sometimes like, like one thing I noticed too, is watching these movies is that, you know, anytime there's intimacy of any kind, I don't feel like it's voyeuristic in the way that a man would shoot it. Hmm. Uh, and that that kind of struck me as being really refreshing to experience but I also really thought and we're talking about this in regards to you know another film coming up it sort of captures the madness you have when you're in quarantine of some kind you know whether if it's what we've been through personally in the past year but if you're just like I don't know. Maybe you've lost your job recently and you're not doing a whole lot and you're just sitting in your apartment. You kind of go mad. You kind of go mad without, without any sort of structure or reason to get out of the house. You go, you kind of lose your shit and that it shows in this film while also being really funny too. Kate, what did you think? Um, yeah, I, um, agree with what Sharon said, (laughs) or especially, um, I, I hadn't read that she thought this was Chaplin-esque, but that makes so much sense watching it um, because it was a lot funnier than I thought it would be. I kind of put off watching it just because I know that Chantal Ackerman died by suicide and the character in this film who's played by her um, also dies by suicide. If that's 
uh, I guess that's what happens. <laughs> it's kind of... Um, yeah, it kind of... She blows up her apartment, I think. Yeah, so... But the whole thing does have this comedic um, energy to it that surprised me. It wasn't hard to watch like I thought it would be, even though it is pretty unnerving, especially with that that voiceover, which, um, yeah, come isn't... Like, it isn't Chantal Ackerman on screen doing that. I don't know where it comes from, but it is pretty upsetting. And, like, the the idea of sort of the domestic breaking down or, like, this girl sort of playing at adulthood is very interesting. I think for some reason what stuck out to me was when she's making spaghetti that she does it, like, all wrong. Um, <laughs> she, like, <laughs> puts the spaghetti in the cold water turns on the pot afterward, doesn't stir the noodles in. Um, and then, but then there's like a jump cut and she's eating noodles. Like <laughs> it's just, it's very interesting and it's very well done. I think for an 18 year old who like, did she have any training? I don't really think so. Right. Or no, I, don't know. I don't think she did. Yeah. She, it just, I don't know. She's very brilliant and she had things to say right away that, she really that are really cohesive with the rest of her output so it's very a really fascinating film to watch yeah i don't know if i saw that said the title because i was afraid but um saute <laughs> saute may ville <laughs> from 1968 um you know obviously i'm going to put some links in the show notes to you know the filmography and everything so people can definitely seek these out and i encourage you to do so of course but I think the the next one that came up and really responded to me, I mean, there's 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 some work in between for sure. And, you know, if you've seen them, go ahead and we can talk about those as well. But the uh, I, you, he, she, j tu, il, el. I think that's about right. Yeah. Je tu, il, el. Yeah. Uh, came out, I believe, a year before Jean Dielan. And oh, boy. What, what a film <laughs> this was again it, it makes sense to kind of go from her from the last film we talked about to this because there's a solid half hour of uh, of, of Ackerman herself in this unwavering isolation in another tiny apartment trying to figure out the best place to put her mattress and it's like oh my god I think I've done that <laughs> you know it's like you're trying to figure out where things should go in a smaller space Ooh, that's that's that resonated with me but also staring out the glass door and feeling this kind of longing uh and then yes then she starts eating a lot of sugar <laughs> uh, and yeah it's 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 really it's sad it's startled it's kind of just i wasn't prepared for i mean i knew about her work and certainly what we'll talk about soon enough but i think this this really took me by surprise in that once we do get out of this apartment, she has some incredibly interesting encounters, particularly with this truck driver. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and like I said, but it, it's it's almost similar to Jean Dielman. Like the the sex performed in this film is I don't I wouldn't say it's like an afterthought, but it's almost like mechanical or like not even there's no emotion going on you know it's almost like there's a dissociation in, in a way art uh, in, in the final well yeah for sure definitely that um 
but even even just the i don't know the the, the hand job in, in the truck oh yeah to, you know, as he's like giving this monologue about his life and stuff it's uh it's it was i was like hmm <laughs> this is a really interesting choice I'm not always sure what she's saying but i appreciate the audacity and certainly just the go for broke nature that she has when making a film like this i mean these static shots feel very dignified and observational without like i said feeling voyeuristic it's it's just like we're we're watching the world as it is as it unfolds and she's but she but she really has this in this film in particular has this really incredible relationship with silence mm-hmm. like she will just sit in it for a long time even in diners you know it's just like and and, and you expect okay this truck driver and her are going to have some conversations but it's like the the restaurants that they're in there isn't any of that really so that was a really bold choice. Uh, it sort of made me think of what Sofia Coppola did with Somewhere, where it was just like there's just a lot of silence and what some people might consider boring moments. But to me, like, I find a lot of beauty in the boring, especially the way she films it and frames it. Uh, but then, you know, like I said, the, the sort of wrestling match <laughs> uh uh, the intimate wrestling match at the end, I uh, was, was kind of floored by because you just never seen anything like that. And yet it also ends on a note of like dissociation. So, yeah. uh, Kate, what did you think of this one? Oh man, I I like really liked it. Um, I think I like it's divided into like three parts, and that's what the title is too. It's um, mm-hmm. what is it? A girl, a boy, and or I don't exactly know, but. Well, it's, it's like I, I, you, he, she. So it's almost um, like we yeah. look at her, then she looks at we look at the audience, I guess, to some degree, but then the he and the she too. So I really, I think I especially respond to the first, the first part of it, which is the one where the girl played by Chantal Ackerman herself is just like sitting in her room, like you said, in various positions, moving things around. Um and like I said, I watched all of these in quarantine. So I think they all kind of hit me in this different way than I think they might have in a different time in my life where I'm very accustomed to spending a lot of time in one room often and just kind of like looking around it and sometimes moving the furniture around and like, um, you know, just like really um, getting to know <laughs> the relationship between my body and this space, which is, I think like all I was thinking about in this first sequence was just like, and this is a thing that come that I feel like comes up a lot in her other movies too. Um, it's just like this idea of human spaces um, and like the way we exist in them and like whether they're actually designed well for a human body or like for human thriving. I just is something I thought about a lot. And this particular thing, it's just kind of like, obviously, it's a very tiny space and she's all alone in it. And she's really just got a bed and um, paper and writing. She spends a lot of time writing something that you never, you never see. I think it's a letter maybe. Or yeah, she reads it. I think it's a letter. Um, and eating sugar. Um, and you just, 
have these long takes of her eating sugar and I think she must actually be eating it <laughs> like <laughs> real time on the screen so it's very difficult to watch it's just like oh okay <laughs> um but yeah I I don't know what to make of it necessarily either um I just kind of felt like I was hanging out with her and that's a thing that I feel a lot when I'm watching these movies like you said it's not necessarily a voyeuristic gaze um it's just, and because it's all in real time or like feels like real time, it really has this feeling of real life um, that, like I said, feels different in quarantine because I actually, um, in a different time in my life, I felt like maybe it would have been difficult to watch some of these things, but because I have so many stretches of time, it felt like just a good way to fill that time. And I think that felt very interesting to me as well. Yeah, it's interesting how now I think we're sort of controlling our anxiety by controlling these little increments of time through mm-hmm. routine. And <laughs> I think that, I mean, I think that's, it's kind of been that way all along in our lives because we all, we went to school and then we went to college and then we went to a job. And now it's like, there, there's always that sense of um, familiarity with, with how things are and how things are supposed to be. And then if something is off that can really set you off. And I think we're going to get to that (laughs) more so in the, in the next film for sure. Uh, Sharon, what was your response to this, uh, this Marvel? (laughs) I was, as I'm watching it, it's like, yeah, I I do feel like I'm hanging out with her as well in a good way. Well, yeah, no, I mean, um, you guys hit upon a couple of the things I thought while watching it, which, you know, I I feel like you can't help but watch the first part without thinking of quarantine, you know, like I'm, I'm trapped in this room. What do I do now? Oh, I'm going to paint my furniture blue. I thought it was funny too, that it's black (laughs) and white. And she talks about the the colors that she's painting her furniture. (laughs) I wonder if that was like another example of, you know, dark humor, but yeah. And then she's, you know, I'll rearrange, I'll do this. I'm writing the letter, um, you know, and look at, you know, just observing, observing, looking out the window, seeing the snow fall or hearing the kids play outside, you know, shows a slightly different time. But I mean, like how you said, it's just she is just so unafraid to just let time unfold, you know, like we're just going to let time unfold. And um, you're, you're going to be watching this. You're going to be living with this and, you know, feeling the same thing that the character is feeling that I'm just, you know getting through this time right now and I mean for me I couldn't help I mean two of the things that probably and I don't know if this is a spoiler (laughs) that are probably going to stand out to people are the the sex scenes in this movie um and I think especially in contrast the one with the man and the one with the woman (laughs) which are very different and I feel like it's um the way that the man I, I just feel like in general a lot of times men don't really present well in her movies and this this particular man I mean I I could be I'm probably you know generalizing or I'm being too broad here but um this man is uh you know I think you had mentioned he has a monologue that is very you know incredibly depressing (laughs) about his his uh his married life you know and And a little um, creepy and very creepy as well He says something really creepy about his daughter, doesn't he? Am I remembering yeah, that? Yeah, right? no, you're right. You're remembering. 
I had to rewind that to make sure I understood and got that. I was like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I know. And Sharon, I think you're you're right. I had the same thought watching her movies that like there I feel like I mean this is true of a lot of her characters, but the men in particular, I think, have this tendency to monologue mm-hmm. in a way that not the women don't necessarily, although like they do to a certain extent. But in this one, it seems especially egregious. He's the only he has like the most speaking time, um, even though he has probably the like the least screen time. But he yeah, he just kind of monologues at her whenever they're interacting. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But I mean, I, yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like it's a very, you know, um, yeah, I'm trying to think how the I, I don't know if I've really processed how the parts all the parts of this movie link together but i do feel like with the man she feels more like she's an accessory maybe with the woman there's definitely a lot of passion there but then there's not a commitment or you know um she still kind of like disassociates or ends up alone you know so um it's interesting. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of that. Um, other than maybe it's kind of like trying on different roles and, you know, this one feels more natural, but this, you know, in the end, she's kind of still the eye. She's just herself. She doesn't, you know, pigeonhole into one identity or another. Yeah, there is a definitely like a fluidity of identity going on. That's really compelling, but it also does feel like three short films mm-hmm. sort of strung together, which I don't think it's a bad thing. <laughs> I just, I kind of went, Hmm, you know, again, sometimes when you're not used to a certain type of film and you're, you do respond to it, but even when it's over, you're kind of like, I'm not sure what that movie was trying to say, but I like, I don't mind that I didn't get it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know it's like maybe maybe my brain isn't wired a certain way to get it and that's okay because i enjoyed the experience of it and certainly yeah i mean there are t- yeah there are times with that truck driver where i'm like Ugh, <laughs> i don't think you should be spending time with him but uh, yeah i think i i mean i think she's just trying to have these connections i mean i don't you know i don't i don't know of her personal life too extensively if she was bisexual or not uh but she was i'm pretty sure okay. yeah, yeah. I, that makes sense it, it, given given the films that we that we've seen but um yeah it, it, it does kind of end on this sad disconnected note that also yeah <laughs> it's like okay well that that was something that happened and who knows where she's going to go from there and i think that is a nice transition into what I think is, well, what everybody probably considers this to be her masterpiece. Um, There's one film we'll be talking about that I actually responded to even more, but that's more of a personal thing for me. Uh, Because although I I definitely, it's, this is a hard movie to talk about because it, so much has been written about it and so much has been said. John Dealman is a a true work of art that is this sustained like experiment in duration through these time images that really considers this 
oppressive weight of like Kate said, the, these domestic spaces and how it can affect your psyche. And I just, I got so involved and unnerved with the littlest things. Sharon, I messaged you at one point and I like, no, don't go have sex with that guy. You just left a pot. You just, you left the stove on. Don't do that. You're going to ruin your potatoes. Like I was, I could not, it was like watching a thriller. Um, yeah. It's so crazy how this affects your, your, your perception of not just the reality within the film it is, is affected my own reality, which is kind of funny because now it's like, Oh, when I do these routines, I start thinking of this movie a little bit. Uh, and that's a good thing. I, I, it, it really, you know, because Chantal Ackerman did not want to be labeled as this feminist filmmaker, you know, but at the same time, it, it's hard not to look at this movie as making some sort of, I wouldn't say necessarily like statement, about women and certainly what they go through on you know just through just you know being domesticated and all that stuff and these it's it, but it's almost like a like she's in a prison you know and she's trying to find her way out like be, she's become the slave to routine and once things start going awry i i i, I was feeling what she was feeling you know or when she's just sitting there um, sort of processing all of her feelings and the fact that things aren't going the way that they normally do. I sort of felt what she felt. So it's like the ultimate experience in empathy for one, but I, I am dying to hear what both of you think of Jean Dielman. Kate, let's, let's start with you. Yeah. I, it is so hard to know where to start. And I feel like I can, I think the things that strike me about her films are things uh, that all of them have. So once again, yeah, it's kind of like this movie that's just about like the relationship between a woman and her space, mm -hmm. um, and all. And you just get to know that space so well. Like you really get to see like like I can picture the tiles in her kitchen very vividly, and like just the way she fits in her kitchen. Um, and I think that's that's very interesting, <laughs> and and just like all of her films, and especially this one, it's just it's about duration, um, which reminds me of a thing that I I read an interview with Chantal Ackerman, and I don't think I'll be able to quote her directly, and it was translated anyway, so I probably wouldn't be, um, but she said something about um, how whenever you watch one of her movies, um, she's like taken time away from you that you like won't get back which I think is fascinating. So it's a thing she's aware of. She's like, um, you're going to be very aware of the time passing. And at the end of it, I will, you will like spend three and a half hours with this movie that you will never get back. Um, <laughs> which is just like, it's interesting to think about with any of her films, but especially this one being three and a half hours long. And it's um, supposed to take place over three days. And it really does feel long. <laughs> and it's like, you do feel, you really feel like you know Jean Dielman as a person after it, even though she really doesn't talk. It's just kind of like, like with um, the previous movie, kind of like you're hanging out in a room with her and just getting to know her by way of um, watching her routine. Um, and it is very interesting. 
And I also read that a lot of John Dillman's routine is sort of inspired by Chantal Ackerman's mother, who she had a very close relationship with. Oh, yeah, for sure. So these are a lot of things that she watched her own mother doing, just like lovingly preparing a meal, even though um, there is like a sort of coldness about it. It's also, it's this weird tension, I think. Like, I don't always feel like it's a prison. It's, I feel like sometimes there's a sort of celebration going on of what she's doing or just like an elevation of like, like this is woman's labor. Um, this is how much time it takes. And um, just sort of like an awareness of how women spend their time, or at least um, women in this um, socio-political climate, I guess. And I also, I also felt a little sad because it's mainly in service of men, including her son. Her son, yeah. Um, and then the other thing about it is the sex work <laughs> that's just kind of um, exists alongside this other labor she does. Um, and I think for its time, it's a really, really like good depiction of sex work. Like it doesn't seem like Chantal Ackerman is looking down on it in any way to me. She's just kind of like, well, yeah, this is how this woman makes ends meet. Like she needs to do all this labor to keep her house, but where does she get money from now that her husband is gone? Um, so yeah, there's, it's such a rich film <laughs> and I feel like you could talk about it for three and a half hours. <laughs> Like, oh, I, so I totally, I totally yeah. want to, but we yeah. don't have that all the time in the world, unfortunately. But I think it's, yeah, I, the way she's framed too, when she's, when the men come to visit, I found really interesting because we don't see her face. It's most mainly about taking the coat and the hat and treating it like a transaction, mm -hmm. which was really interesting to me. Um, Sharon, how do you feel about this? this work of art <laughs> yeah i mean this is actually the only movie of hers i had heard of and i hadn't even seen it and um i you know i purposefully tried not to learn anything about it before i watched it so i didn't know about the the big climax which i don't know if i should or should not mention what it is but i i won't no pun but, intended um, with that. Yeah. <laughs> but um I, you know, I actually, even had I not known, actually, I didn't know what was coming, but I felt uneasy the whole movie. And, and I don't know if you guys felt this way, but I definitely felt like it was this whole kind of, um, I'm doing this to keep, to keep from breaking down. Like I have to keep my routine going. I have to scrub the tub at this time. I have to, you know, make the, make the meat, at, you know, at this time. And it was very, to me, it felt like this whole, like, it was almost like a horror movie. <laughs> she had this routine. Some people have described it that way. Yeah. <laughs> like a horror movie of OCD. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, like she's trying to ward something off. Right. And there's these few moments where she, you know, where a little bit of, you know, humanity or something comes in, like she reads that letter to her son, but it's just like completely in a monotone, even though it's, you know, an emotional letter and you learn about that her husband died and are you going to marry again? It's this complete monotone, complete absence of emotion. And it just made me feel like she's just repressing and repressing. So yeah, I guess I had a little bit of a different feel. I felt like it was just this whole, yeah, like this portrait of repression and almost this kind of like, and it's funny because you can see that in her in her earlier short film too, this the Soup Maville, 
um, is this whole, um, you know, I'm going to do this chore so I don't have to think about my, at least that's the way it felt to me. I don't have to think all my dark thoughts. I don't have to dwell on, you know, the melancholy of, you know, uh, my, my, uh, dead husband or whatever else I would be thinking about. And, um, to me, it felt like, so, and I, I read a little bit about this movie after I watched it and you can see around, like at, at the time after she meets with the second client, things are kind of like unwinding a little bit. And there's this like, yeah, her hair is all a mess. At one point, right. yeah. And it starts to me, it feels like a horror movie. Like things are, she's not able to keep it up anymore. And, um, there's this, that one scene in particular where she's peeling the potatoes and it's so um, aggressive, you know, like that really, like I actually kept flinching because I thought something was going to happen. I thought she, I actually thought she was going to like peel the skin on her hand a little bit or something. It just felt, I, I felt so much tension during that peeling potatoes scene when, you know, she like overboiled them or something and she sat down to peel them. So to me, it's, yeah, I, you know, that was kind of the take. I, I, I felt very uneasy um, watching it. And I knew, I, I figured, I didn't even know this, but I figured it was heading for some kind of dark, you know, ending or territory or something. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, I don't know, maybe I just fear domestic chores but i did something yeah, it's like definitely. a compulsion compulsive routine that's how i saw it a compulsive routine mm -hmm. that almost seemed like a barrier or protection yeah yeah i definitely think it does have that like a lot of it <laughs> um and as, you're right about like the food preparation i was thinking about the meatloaf making <gasps> oh yeah that's the part that makes me really wow um because she really like you watch in real time as she like transforms the texture of it. And it's just like very, like, ugh, <laughs> very gross. Yeah. I didn't have a taste for meatloaf after watching that. <laughs> I was just like, wow. Yeah. This, that, that, that doesn't look so good. Maybe it looks amazing and it tastes great when it's done, but <laughs> it was just like, Oh yeah. There's, there's, there's specific moments throughout this entire film that like I mentioned are kind of like this exercise in sustained tension over things that, you know, like peeling potatoes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's when she only has one potato left and she knows she has to make dinner. You're like, Oh my God. Oh no. Yeah. I gotta go. She's gotta go out shopping and get, get more potatoes. But also her relationship with her son was just kind of like, it was, it was heartbreaking. And yet also like you mentioned, Kate, it, there is kind of a, a comfort you know there too in in the routine of doing all these things for your son that i i imagine is going on internally like it's not all you know i i probably use the word prison you know inaccurately i guess to some degree because it's well, not i don't, all I don't that. agree with that yeah i just think that there um i think there's some moments maybe that aren't but i i, I like i feel that like people talk about this movie usually they say that it is like this very oppressive environment. And I, like I definitely agree with that. Um, but I also feel like there is some more going on and it, it's like, it's hard to talk about because I like to watch things a lot before I talk about them, but you can't when it's three and a half hours <laughs> long, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. 
and I, I, but like the relationship with her son was really interesting and in a way that I wouldn't mind revisiting again, just because there's certain conversations they have, including when he's like thinking about his parents having sex. Yeah. yeah. Her response to that and everything was really fascinating to me. I was just kind of like, wow, I don't really talk that way with my mom, but okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really interesting to have that kind of relationship with your son. But, um, you know, also it's just, there's, there's, there's some vulnerability going on. Uh, and it, you know, it's not, it's, it's not all disassociation, I think, because we spend time lingering on her without knowing what she's thinking or feeling. Yeah. And maybe it's up to the audience. I don't know if it's projection, but it's, it's certainly there's, there's these feelings of man. Cause you know, I, I read that uh, Delphine and Chantal really didn't get along so well during the making of this because Delphine wanted to know, you know, I know it's that, that cliche of an actor, what's my motivation or, you know, what am I thinking or feeling as I'm preparing meatloaf and Chantal would just go, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, I remember reading that Chantal Ackerman would be like, <laughs> she'd be like, no, slow down. Like, um don't make it like you would normally make it like make it really slow <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very and there I was just like fascinated that Chantal Ackerman at 25 years old would be working with Delphine Zerig who was already like kind of a luminous actress at this point like mid-career with already already with like Marianne Bod and like um and the Truffaut movie. And I think all of that, like she'd already done. <laughs> so it was like kind of incredible. I think that they worked together at all. Yeah, for sure. But what, what okay. I mean, we definitely have to talk about the ending before we move on. <laughs> yes. Cause uh, there it's, there's interesting responses out there in terms of not really liking that choice yeah. uh, or, or certainly finding it, off-putting and out of nowhere or what's the decision behind doing that is it the fact that you know she because we didn't really see her encounters behind closed doors with the other two men to know if she is getting any pleasure out of it and this time she clearly does to some degree and then you know everybody I'm sure you, if I'm sure you've seen the movie and if you haven't you can skip ahead if you want but we're <laughs> spoiling this ending you know she stabs uh this guy with a pair of scissors and then just sort of sits in the dining room table and reflects on what she's done possibly uh what what do you make of this ending I I, I am still perplexed <laughs> in a good way I go back to what Sharon said because I think you're right that like there is like some repression going on and like this kind of sterile routine um, that she's doing to kind of like keep some demons at bay. And I guess that's what I'm maybe thinking about when I don't like, maybe that's bad, <laughs> but I think having lived through quarantine now, um, I like definitely feel myself doing that sometimes. Like I'm like, all right, well now I'm making a meal Um and like, this is something I can do for a while to not think about all the other stuff that's going on. Um, so yeah, I think she's definitely doing that. And she has like an order to her day um, that does kind of unravel as it goes on. And I kind of think my interpretation, even though Jim, you're right, you don't see her encounters with these other men. But my interpretation is that 
she doesn't really experience pleasure usually. And I think they kind of, that Chantal Ackerman kind of like signifies this orderliness with like the towel that she puts down and it's like very sterile. She like puts it down, she takes it up, then she bathes, I think. Um, So like when she is with this man um, and like has, it seems like she has an orgasm. (laughs) I think that's like kind of like a final unraveling for her where like her- loss of control. Yeah, she like- her body just does something she can't control, I think. And then she kills the guy, which I do think is kind of a weird choice, but I'd love to hear what others have to say about it. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's hard. I, I think she probably, like we're saying about, um, you know, um, Jean's inner voice or thoughts, she probably, or and by she, I mean Chantal Ackerman, didn't really want us to interpret it one way or another. But I mean, I do, like, I'm You're trying to right. think back to the sex scene. And to me, it seemed like, like, I'm almost remembering her kind of like struggling or feeling stifled or something like that. Like, um, where she just w- exa- wasn't experiencing any pleasure. And it's the only time that, uh, you know, they show the, the sax and it seems like she's almost like, you know, almost repulsed or, you know, like she doesn't, it, it, and maybe it does have something to do with, um, with the pleasure that he's experiencing and the fact that she's, you know, this is just something like a means to an end for her. But um, I feel it's, it's interest. It's an interesting choice because I feel like in a way it would be really easy to kind of like simplify this movie and say it's a feminist movie where she kind of turns on, you know, she feels repressed by men and she's going to turn on them. But I feel like it's so much more complex than that, you know, and I, the, the fact that it's, um, you know, it has her name and address are in the title, I feel almost signifies like you shouldn't think about it as a general, you know, feminist movie. It's about this character, you know, and whatever she's feeling. And I think, you know, it's some of the things that we've, we've touched upon a little bit. I think she probably feels some repression. I think she finds, she feels some, you know, um, she probably takes some pride in, in what, in the things that she's able to do, you know, and being independent, you know, and I think it's, yeah, it's just a lot more complex than that. Um, but, um, yeah, she did probably have kind of an, something, something just kind of, you know, once her order started unraveling, things started to bubble up and what all of those things are, you know, that, may have been hinted at but we don't we don't really know all of them i don't think yeah it's interesting i was just thinking about comparing the other sex scene in jatul which um is just like very different from this one um in terms of like i think this is the only movie i've seen of hers where there is any kind of orgasm (laughs) as far as i can tell um I don't know. It's just very fascinating. It's a fascinating choice for a fascinating film. And uh, it's weird because when it happened, I almost felt like it's catharsis. It's a release of all of this repression that she'd been experiencing to some degree, or at least 
but the thing is is like what does that choice lead to well if you know if her son comes home and finds a dead body what becomes like i started thinking about the aftermath even though that's not really what you know i'm i'm guessing we're supposed to think about but i I, to me that's kind of where my mind went because i got so you know empathic and involved with her character that i thought oh no now you're gonna now you might go to prison and that's a whole other routine that's a literal prison oh my god you're so right yeah i think what i do like i don't know how i feel about that stabbing scene like the first time i watched it i was like like oh wow this time i was kind of like i don't know like not sure how I felt about it, but I do love the sequence after it where she's just sitting in her dining room that you've, you've spent a lot of time with her there already. And now it's like a different time of day. The lights are out. And like, if I remember, there's like some neon light that's playing from her street, which is like a commercial street. Oh, Uh, it's so beautiful. That to me is beautiful. It's gorgeous. And I think it does invite you to contemplate all of this because it's a really extended take. And I definitely did. I was like thinking about, yeah, like how this is like the final interruption or her routine because like, she's, is she going to cover it up? <laughs> like I actually joked with Maureen who my wife who watched this with me, I was like, are they setting up Jean Tillman too? Like she meticulously cleans up the body <laughs> um, like for another three hours. It's just like, yeah, there's like an invitation, I think, to ponder on her thoughts and on what's going to happen to her. But yeah, yeah, I love, love, love that final sequence. I think yeah, that's and really it's weird too where my mind went. <laughs> Sorry, I was yeah. going to say, I think that's a really good point. Oh, no, I agree. Yeah, in the, um, in the, uh, in that we were talking about how the entire movie, uh, you know, with just her extended takes of her doing or going about her day, we're kind of invited to wonder what she's thinking. And, you know, if sometimes we kind of guess that she's thinking maybe dark thoughts and in the end, you know, what is she thinking after that happens? This is kind of a continuation of that. And it takes away from it being, you know, like sensationalistic and any kind of, well, I mean, maybe a little bit, but (laughs) it takes away from that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Tim. Oh no, I I was I don't know why, why my mind went to thinking about like a like the this I guess the the, the comparison I can think of most cl- closely to this idea of um, sex equating to death is Crash, um, mm-hmm. J.G. Ballard's book and Cronenberg's film, where the the funny thing is is like I don't connect with the movie because I I don't necessarily care. Uh, that they're not really feeling pleasure from sex anymore it's like oh okay well oh well that sucks (laughs) but that's all we get to see like the routine over and over again from that from these characters and it's a film that i i struggle with and i it's one of those i i you know you have every once in a while a movie you kind of wish you responded to or loved because a lot of other people do or something it's like i i've watched it three times even though i don't feel a connection to it you know it's like that to me is I, I wondered if there is something to be said about that uh, you know just this idea of um you know destruction creation kind of a, like oh i can't i can't handle having an orgasm or something it's, and so i'm just gonna kill this person that gave it to me you know like i don't know there's probably i, I you know some part of me wants to get psychological and freudian and jungian about it or something but i also don't think that's necessarily needed to to analyze it you know it's just like 
it is something that happens. It's almost like, okay, well, this sex just happens as a transaction, you know, going to the bank is just something that, ha- man, that's, that's a lingering moment too, where it's just like, is that other woman just standing there? Like, is she going to talk to the teller or what? <laughs> you know, there's like moments like that throughout this movie where I'm kind of just mystified, but in a, in a really like jaw dropping way, because I've never seen a filmmaker make these kind of choices before. And it's, and it's, it's very similar to when I f- saw Sofia Coppola somewhere, it was d- divisive because a lot of people thought, Oh, it's so boring and nothing happens. And we just watch, you know, this narcissist stew in his mansion or whatever it's, you know, and it's like, but isn't that kind of interesting for a filmmaker to do that, to sort of reflect on the interior life of a character and not have all these flashy heroic moments or, you know, like just fireworks going off all the time. It's really interesting to just sit with somebody. Yeah. And I, what it's interesting about that to me is um, hearing like you all's thoughts about it, like what you were thinking when this was happening, because having these long still takes, it kind of like activates your mind in a way um, so that like the viewer, like you really think about what you're bringing to it too, in a way that you don't when a director is sort of leading you through it. So I, yeah, I like really loved hearing what you all thought, especially about that last scene, (laughs) especially Jim, um, the idea of like her routine, like if she potentially goes to prison, it's just like, there are so many different things that viewers bring to this. And I think, I feel like she would love that Chantal Ackerman. Yeah. Yeah, I wish she were here. (laughs) I wish she could be on the podcast. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, a couple years later, there's this one I didn't connect with as strongly, but it's Le Rendezvous Diana. Mm. Oh, I yeah. really liked this one. You really liked it? I did. Yeah. You go for it then. You you start off the introduction to it or talked about talk about it. Sure. Well, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of going to be repeating myself because, like I said, I got I felt like a lot of the her themes kind of run across her movies. Um, and like the the way um, in this one, I feel like, and I feel like uh, public transit is a thing that comes up in a lot of her movies, mm. um, or just maybe this is just like a Europe thing that we don't have in America as much or as thoroughly. But she spends a lot of time on trains, um, and also in hotel rooms. So there's just like a lot of like, sort of like liminal transitional spaces that she's in. Um, the character Anna, which is based on Chantal Ackerman too. So like even her fictional movies all have like this autobiographical backbone to them. So um, Rendezvous, uh, whatever, <laughs> Rendezvous to Anna, <laughs> um, Travels of Anna is sort of based on Chantal Ackerman's life um, touring her movies. Mm. Um, so I just, um, yeah, I really liked just seeing this actress, Aurora Clement, um, in all these different spaces and interacting with these different people. Um, and I'm like, some of them are people she's never met. Some of them, like she meets her mother and has like this really beautiful interaction with her mother. Oh yeah. That's a great moment. Um, Yeah. And like her various lovers she meets and has like simultaneously like moments of connection, but also these moments of alienation and it's like mostly in hotel rooms, which just feel 
very strange. I think I'm like kind of fascinated by hotel rooms in general. Oh, I am too. Did you watch Hotel Monterey? I didn't. I didn't get to that one, but I really wanted to. Uh, We'll save it for part two. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And just how they're sort of like public transit and trains, um, a space that's designed like not for one person, but for many people to just be in and like the feeling of being in a room that's not really designed for you but it's just designed to get you from here to there. Um, it was just an interesting thing to think about just how, if a, like if a space is made for everybody that it's really made for nobody and that it feels kind of weird to occupy those spaces. And when she's on trains with, with other people, just kind of like looking out the window, you Mm -hmm. get that feeling too. It's yeah. I don't, know what like my major takeaways from this film are but I really loved watching it and I thought it was just like beautifully shot too oh yeah yeah for sure I think in terms of capturing hotel loneliness you know it's 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 very strong and it reminded me a little bit of Charlie Kaufman's Anomalisa without the surrealism <laughs> you know like like Char- Charlie Kaufman obviously very different filmmaker very very weird and surreal and strange but it's like the, the things I remember the most about Anomalisa, aside from Jennifer Jason Lee's incredible performance, is just this idea of being alone in a hotel and that and that's almost unbearable for some people. Mm-hmm. So you literally like, I got to try and find somebody in this town to connect with, or even if I have to go get drunk at a bar and meet somebody, I got to I got to bring them back. I just the idea of being alone in this foreign environment is too much for me to handle. Yeah, um, I just I just didn't connect with the characters that she connected with i didn't find them as interesting i guess i mean she doesn't either at certain points but but no definitely the moment with her mother i i thought was really really poignant sharon what did you think of this one well this is one that i actually i'm glad you asked about because i actually i actually watched this one twice because i liked it the first time um but i really did enjoy it so much more the second time and i feel like i got more out of it and yeah, I had read also that the the character was based on Chantal Ackerman. And I I just felt, to me, my big takeaway is I felt like it was both a, um, it showed the upside and the downside of this lifestyle. Um, you know, the upside is the freedom, the traveling wherever you want, you know, um, it, meeting different people, doing different things, but then the downside is it's it's a very nomadic, you know, lonely at times existence. You fall asleep alone, you know, even though you have excitement during the day, you have public adoration, you know, you have no one to sleep next to at night. And then um, to me, what I picked up on watching it again is that she let everyone, well, um, you know, friends and family members who she meets with talk about these, you know, why aren't you, you don't have anyone to take care of you. You don't have a partner, but then it's funny when they describe their own domestic partnerships, it's always in, in a very negative way. Like, you know, my, my husband is always irritated with me and, you know, he's, he's yeah. depressed because we, we don't have any money or, you know, they, they almost never, I don't think anyone in the film describes a happy domestic partnership beginning from that first man she meets whose wife, you know, ran away on him, you know, and 
another thing um, that was uh, <laughs> I found funny was when, you know, there's a family friend who's been trying to get her to marry her son. And she said she broke her engagement mm. twice. And she says something like, oh, well, you know, the past is the past. But why would you do it twice? Like she, she kept bringing, she's like, oh, it's all forgotten. <laughs> but I just don't understand why someone would do that. So I thought that was kind of funny. But yeah, to me, I thought it was really interesting in that it showed, you know, one choice isn't necessarily... Uh, going to lead to more happiness than the other and you know they both have their upsides and downsides you know um so and then the other thing oh the that uh that ending kind of really struck me or you know the the final scenes toward the ending where she's singing that song and it's about two lovers who are in a hotel or something and they have a moment of happiness and that's enough. Like it's so, I, I think she said so bright it hurts, but that's all that they have. And then they, I think they die together. And <laughs> so I feel like the whole, the whole movie to me was kind of like making a statement about how a lot of times uh, things like that are temporary, you know, um, love or, or the kind of like bright love you know that you where you feel so smitten is temporary and then after that you have the kind of you know we work at it we try to keep each other happy and i felt like that was one thing and then also when she was getting all the um uh in the in the very end when she was listening to our answering machine messages of all the people she missed or all the people she you know wanted to meet up with i was thinking like you know, the reason it's called Meetings with Anna, and this seems like kind of a dumb revelation, but I, if, to me, I was just like, is because they, you know, that's all they get. They get a meeting with her. That's all the time that she has. She just has meetings, you know, and she doesn't have any strings attached to any particular person, you know, and um, it's, to me, it's both, it's both kind of a celebration of that lifestyle and also you know, kind of shows the loneliness that comes, like the price you have to pay for it. So, um, yeah, I really, I, I really felt like that was a very rich movie and I got a lot more out of, out of watching it again. Yeah. The way you're describing it makes me think of Lost in Translation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Cause the way they, they have this connection together while staying in the same hotel is is kind of beautiful and again you don't you don't know what they say to one another at the end but i always think of it as like oh well we at, at least we had this time together you know i don't i don't think they're gonna go back and you know end their relationships and wind up together i don't think it's meant to be that in the end for them and and similar similar to some of the people that uh anna meets here i think yeah that probably holds true I, uh, I'll watch it again. <laughs> I'll definitely like you, you know, certainly I, 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 I respond to more what you're saying, what, what both of you are saying. And it makes me want to watch it again because I, when I was on tour as a, as a musician, I, I did it for like six weeks, but there, you know, not everybody, not, you know, not every show I played, there was, there was not always a, there was not, there wasn't always a person there to, 
say, hey, you can crash on my couch if you need to. So there would be times where I would either sleep in my car in a parking lot or I would go to a hotel or a motel, uh, preferably an affordable one, even if it was not the best place to stay. (laughs) And there, yeah, definitely like because I came down from the high of playing a show to suddenly being in a room completely alone. And there's just like this insane, almost like bipolar nature to being a touring musician, you know? And like, I I can understand this character and certainly that's got to hold true for, for um, authors who go on book tours and, and directors who, who, you know, are going on tour to different festivals with their films. So yeah, no, it, 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 it makes sense. And I'm, I, I would definitely recommend it to people. <laughs> we have to get to, <laughs> we have to get to this, this incredibly joyful film that it was one of the earlier ones I watched. And I'm kind of like, what I, this is not, this is not what I've heard before. This is not all the things I've read about Chantal Ackerman. I don't know if they mentioned golden eighties. Yeah. I'd never, I'd never really heard of it, but it was definitely fascinating. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. I, it's clear that she might've, you know, been a fan of uh, like the umbrellas of Shaborg or I think I said that right. Um, you know, just like those joyful French musicals where it's pretty much wall to wall musicals, you know, or musical numbers. And when it's like that, I, I, I was so happy. I mean that when all, when all those women are, are working in the, um, you know, the barbershop and everything, it's like, or the salon, I, I, (laughs) and they're singing and (laughs) working on people's hair. I was just kind of like, Oh, this, this is, this is so nice to experience. It really is. It's 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 full of just unabashed uh, joy and and in and, and ways that kind of shattered my expectations and felt refreshing, you know. And certainly there's melancholy, and certainly there's there's things and themes that we've come to know that are presented here. And certainly there's some uh, you know, heavier, weightier things on her mind, but it's mostly interspersed with with a, a lot of incredibly catchy numbers that I, uh, I I definitely liked the fact that she got out of her comfort zone to make something like this at, at that particular time. Sharon, I know you're a fan. <laughs> and you and you weren't at first, like, I remember messaging, you was like, ah, I think I, tr- I tried watching it and it just didn't click with me, but now you're loving it, right? Yeah, actually, um, I... Uh started watching it one night and I was kind of sleepy and I don't think I watched it through the end, but I thought I was like, Oh, that's really cool. She's doing something different. And I initially thought it was too silly. And, you know, I, I think cause I've been watching all her other movies. I was like, Oh, it's, this one's a silly or fluffy or, you know, whatever. But I, I'm glad that you um, convinced me to give it another chance. Or I, I myself wanted to give it another chance anyway. Um, but yeah, I because the second time I watched it, um, I did connect to it more. Uh, you know, I watched all the way through. And um, I think I told you this, the, the um, part that really moved me 
was, you know, toward the end where she had that Delphine Seyrig has that monologue about love. And here she is, she's a uh, Holocaust survivor and she's comforting, mm-hmm. you know, this jilted bride mm. saying, you know, I love is never lost. Love never means nothing. You'll find someone else to love. And she's comforting her. And there's just something so touching about that. And, you know, just the way she's still she's still convinced that there's love, you know, and that love is still out there and you know the love you put out there is still out there somewhere and i feel like it's really to me that's kind of like the the substance of the movie is you know these kind of different um types of love and there's this also um you know um she herself has um delphine sarig's character has an old lover come back and um she she says something to him like, oh, the, that kind of love is for the young or something. That whole kind of like burning, you know, swo- swooning kind of, <laughs> you know, I lo- I'll love you yeah. forever. And it, I thought that was really interesting because then she herself goes around to encourage, you know, that kind of love for someone else. But then I was thinking that she's, you know, sparing someone. I don't know. She's sparing someone else from being hurt. So I just, yeah, all those kind of dynamics with the relationships and the different, you know, discussions of the different types of, that's what really hooked me, the different types of love and relationships. And, you know, I felt like that was what gave it a little more depth than being like a shopping mall musical, which is in itself really interesting. But yeah, (laughs) that was kind of like the hook for me. Yeah, was I felt like it had interesting things to say about the relationships you know and how her how his um the main one of the main characters his father is saying you know forget about this woman who you're so obsessed with and you know head over heels because she's not the one you're going to marry you know <laughs> go find the woman you're going to marry mm-hmm. just all those different kind of takes on it i think were what what was interesting to me yeah so i like it now yeah, it has this abrupt ending, though. That's... <laughs> it definitely has this abrupt ending that kind of was like, oh, okay, they're out of the mall, and then suddenly, yeah, it's, it comes to a really kind of swift resolution uh, that, I don't know, I, I guess that's probably the only thing I was like, eh, I don't know, maybe this could be ended a little differently, but everything else, yeah, it, it worked for me pretty much. Like, you do have to sort of, again, reacclimate yourself and prepare for this kind of giddy nature yeah <laughs> you know and it seems appropriate for the mid 80s too or it might, might be the early 80s but yeah kate what do you think i was kind of i was definitely surprised by it but i was also surprised by how it kind of like fits with her sensibility in this really weird way where like um i think musicals movie musicals do best when they're like in these long takes with people with the frame kind of still or like fossey style moving with people like without Mm -hmm. choppy cuts so in that way i was like kind of surprised how well like her style did movie musical it was like it really worked for me in that way um but also that she sort of translates like i know she we've talked about like her letter writing thing i feel like almost every movie involves someone like reading a letter or writing a letter and like the very first musical number in this one is someone like singing a letter that she got from her lover in Canada and I thought that was like a really interesting translation of that theme 
Hmm. And like, once again, works really well for me, but also like, I, it's just, um, I don't know how, how big into musicals you two are. I I am very into them. <laughs> I love musicals. I, I wish I was more into them, but I like, I like a lot of the major ones that I've seen, obviously singing in the rain, like the classics I do enjoy. Well, I think um, there's like kind of like a miss. I think a lot of people think that they're, to me, a lot of musicals um, have this like buoyant exterior that like kind of has like a darker, like the upbeat tunes sort of make up for this like sort of darker undercurrents that are going on. And to me, like Mm -hmm. there are like, especially since like, Jean Dielman, not Jean Dielman, but her character is named Jean, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. character um, is a Holocaust survivor. And like, they keep on mentioning like, like the reason she didn't end up with this guy who comes back into her life is because she is like so depressed from the camps that she doesn't think she can really ever heal from that. Um, but then she does. And like, that's kind of... I think like a theme in Chantal Ackerman's work that you kind of persevere through a lot of that stuff. Um, You can't, or just like moving through these moments of trauma. So I do think like there are moments of trauma that are sort of uplifted by all these like happy love sort of things. But then there's also this, like they're constantly sort of worried about money also so it's oh, not yeah. just like this like bubblegum mall. They're also like um, negotiating like leases and like worried about like customers coming in and like how nobody has money to shop. Oh. <laughs> so it's like kind of this up, ups and downs of these people's lives um, that I really enjoyed. And also I just think the setting of the mall is really visually interesting and all these parts where like two characters are trying to talk and get kind of interrupted by a flow of people. Yeah, were just very, very fun to watch too. And just sort of reminded me of some of her other um, transit scenes where just like a parade of people will suddenly come through. Um, Very interesting opening sequence for sure. But also that the ending I think is fascinating because it ends with like this little monologue of um, Jean's husband who's like comparing love to buying dresses. (laughs) Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, let me, I like had a note about it because I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Um, where is it? Yeah, it's. <laughs> um, you like it. Oh, just kind of like how he says, um, and you better find the right one, like find the right person. Um, because if you don't, we go out of business. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> a fascinating comparison. Just, um, that like love and like relationships sort of propel people forward and it is sort of, it can be sort of transactional. Like, I don't think it's being completely cynical in that way, but it has like this cynical moment <laughs> with this yeah. guy. Um, yeah, it's, I, I really liked it. Um, and it does have a levity that her other movies definitely don't have, at least not, I know there are millions I didn't get to, <laughs> but this was definitely the lightest. Yeah. touch of all the other ones well, there was one that you saw sharon that uh i didn't get to see that you said was had a lot of levity 
was it a documentary? Oh yeah, because uh, I know it, it, it tackles her Jewish family oh, yeah, to some degree. Yeah, no, actually, well, I was to say, I, I think Kate, Kate, like you kind of nailed it because I, you know, I think I had to get that to that dark, you know, undercurrent before I really got a hook in that movie. At first, I didn't really see it, mm-hmm. but then you know, when I, when I think especially when he came back, um, her old, it, uh, it wasn't her lover, it was like her protector or you know from the holocaust um and just i i started to notice some of that other stuff i was like oh this stuff is kind of like just you know buried under a lot of colorful <laughs> singing stuff. but i do agree i think <laughs> it has a lot of yeah it's it's both her most like one of her accessible and you know lightest but also still has a lot of like depth to it but the um uh, the other one I really liked was the, and I feel like this doesn't get as much attention as some of our other ones. It's food, family, and philosophy, or I think it's his, histories de mer. I'm not sure de Merique, de Merique's, Um, I think close to that, but <laughs> um, and it's actually not. It's a fictional film, and that's really interesting because it begins with some kind of like monologues. Um, from immigrants yeah and it's all Jewish immigrants I think and you know they're telling in the beginning they're telling some pretty dark stories so you won't think Mm -hmm. it's it's funny like what she's talking about but then it's it's funny when it gets like maybe half an hour in there's a lot of like dark absurdist humor to it that just kind of like comes out of nowhere it's really interesting like um I'm trying to think of an example. There's a guy who goes through a revolving door and someone else, he has a beard and someone else comes out and he's like clean shaven. And this guy in the street goes, how did you shave so quick? And there's all these other weird little moments like that. And then toward the end, there's like a, um, there's this big restaurant scene. It's, it's very like absurdist. Um, and there's a thunderstorm coming mm-hmm. and, um, it's just like some of these other characters that have been in out of the movie or, you know, sitting there um, talking and it, it almost feels like a, like a Samuel Beckett play or something. It's just like so absurd. It's like one of them is asking directions to the road somewhere and like three different people try to describe it to him and they can't. And they're like, Oh, there's no, there's no way to really get there. And <laughs> it's really it's it's very interesting but it does have a lot of humor it's it's kind of like weird and dark humor um i like that one quite a bit yeah yeah i liked that one too and i i loved i loved that diner scene where it's um yeah the samuel beckett comparison makes a lot of sense it's just like um uh like all these tables and this like outdoor area and I think all of it was filmed sort of like in the same area but a lot of it is just like people on sidewalks and I and like in alleys and various places and I just watched news from home so that terrain felt like pretty familiar um yeah Um, maybe I'll watch this one tonight instead I can't decide now (laughs) because I think I'm gonna like it I I I just didn't get to it but I'm I'm excited to uh yeah I you know we'll 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 sort of end with news from home but there's one in particular that might be my favorite as much as I love Jean Dielman there's this film she did for a television series and I 
the the full title is Portrait of a Young Girl at the End of the 1960s in Brussels. Oh yeah, and I like that one a lot. I, f- I almost forgot about that. <laughs> it's it's an hour long, and I believe it came out in the early 90s. Oh, it captures exactly what it's like to be lost at that particular age. Uh, and like you know, the lead character drops out of school, you know, steals money, hooks up with a boy that she picks up at the movies. And yet they sort of go on this like before sunrise like journey, kind of, you know, like they're they're having these profound conversations together. And sometimes they're profound. Sometimes they're just talking, you know, about things that they think and feel or just what they're experiencing in the moment. But and then the, 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 the sort of final act really, really blew me away because I, I kind of know <laughs> that feeling of you know, unrequited love with a friend or something, you know, and it's like that dance between two friends was kind of like the emotional high point of all the films I watched. And there's just, I mean, there's just a lot of internal conflict going on within this character that, you know, felt very palpable. It felt very familiar. And and it was like, I I was like, I want to see more from this, from this actress. It's, it's really, again, I think, you know, you could say, yes, it's made for TV. So it's not, the kind of like tour de force in terms of cinematography that her other films are. But at the same time, I think, I think this one is very personal for her as well. And, you know, I don't know if it's entirely autobiographical note for note, but it certainly felt that way to me. And I thought it was really beautiful. Yeah. I like that one a lot. I almost forgot about that, but actually I did watch that um, earlier. And the main reason is because, I watched some some short documentary on her to try to get a feel for what to watch, and that one came up with the clip of the of the um, two women dancing and the um, James Brown song, or it's a man's 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 world, and then she cuts in with a man, and I was like, oh my god, I've got to see this movie, <laughs> so I tried to track uh-huh. it down, and I eventually found, it, I think, on YouTube. But it's, yeah, it's hard to find, but it's a really good one. It's very, it's just a really, yeah, it's a good emotional, like coming of age story. Yeah. Yeah. I unfortunately didn't watch that one, but I, I would. You, Kate will love it. (laughs) That description sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to sort of end on, again, another very personal film, you know, it's one of the it's one of the few documentaries. Well, maybe is it the only documentary of hers I watched? I think it might be uh, News from Home, which I I was again pretty floored by it because it's very simple in its execution, and yet it captures a place, it captures a time. It cal- you know the way we've described like these internal spaces here. It's a lot of external spaces, a lot of being on the streets of New York and you know she began she was living in New York and began correspondence with her mother and sort of just takes whatever she wrote in letter form as voiceover while we see these still shots uh often of of these of New York streets and subways and people on the street and yet it's like it gives you room to meditate and reflect there's a lot of longing in some of these shots I, I mean, personally, I've always 
part of me wanted to be a photographer at some point. So when I see just beautiful still images, I'm moved by that alone sometimes. And you get that throughout this entire film where you're just kind of like, that's an amazing shot. You can hold on that forever. I'll enjoy that. (laughs) You know, and, but again, you do have to prepare yourself for one mood, one tone, one sensation to sort of carry along. But then again, it sort of does get more melancholy and, and, and beautiful as it goes on. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I meant to see her last film because I know it, it connects to this pretty directly, but, uh, man, I, I really, really strongly responded to news from home in, in its simplicity for sure. what do you guys think? <laughs> Go ahead. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have a lot of strong feelings about this one too. Um, I know, Chantal Ackerman had a really close relationship with her mother and that really comes through here and it feels very personal and her mother's letters are just I like I wonder I'd love to read about more about the relationship and how her mother feels about being featured in a lot of this stuff um I didn't I only got to watch part of No Home Movie which is her last film that also um involves her mom a lot um but yeah, their relationship is really beautiful. And I just think um, I'm fascinated by the letter writing portion of all of her work and just how people connect through letters. Yeah. And just like, even though, like, how do you connect with somebody or like, how do you write a letter? <laughs> like every, when you write a letter, it's always like, I mean, and it's like this in this movie too. She's like, well, these people are getting married or like dad's sick. And it's just kind of like, yeah, news from home. <laughs> like basically when you write a letter, you like kind of just report on what's happening around you, like your thoughts. Um, but like often just like details, like we went to dinner with this family or whatever. Um, and the way that it's juxtaposed over like these beautiful shots of New York City where Chantal Ackerman had just moved. So they'd been apart or like she was apart from her mom for like, I think the first time really substantially. So there's like a physical distance between them um, and a longing in her mom's letters. Her mom will be like, you didn't respond to this letter or like, I just want to know you're okay. Um, So there's this very, I don't know. It just makes me think of like the sort of difficulties in maintaining relationships in general um, and sort of like rectifying your interior and exterior worlds. So like Chantal Ackerman is like in New York City, um, like physically and just sort of like mentally, maybe back in Brussels with her mom, but also like in all these other places. It just like is a very human film to me about like connection and how difficult that can be. Um, Even though like she and her mother were so close, it's just like the the methods we have of reaching other people are sort of finite <laughs> just as other people. It's like mm-hmm. you talk on the phone, you write letters, but like ultimately those are sort of like the only tools we have and like filmmaking for Chantal Ackerman. But those are the things that it made me think of. And I, I just loved it. Um, and I, I just like love their relationship and you see it in No Home Movie too, but <laughs> it's just like very sweet. Um, yeah, it seems like it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
yeah, there's a, a slow pace to the majority of her work, but I think it allows you to linger on the humanity of the everyday and things that maybe you take for granted. Like there, there, there are certain moments where I'm like, even when I drive or take the train in Chicago, I kind of, I'm in, like sometimes get emotional at how beautiful some parts of the city are, how old some of the buildings are. And it's, or even just seeing the lake, you know, it's simple, like little things like that, that I don't know. It, I find, I find parts of the environment to be very moving. And maybe that's even why like, you know, nature trail hikes can be really special when you, when you feel open to that world and you see things that you don't always see because you're living in a busy city where you don't get to see those things all the time and seeing New York portrayed like this uh, for sure was, was kind of eye opening. And you, you know, I, but I agree too, to some extent that it it's more of an art piece and maybe, you know, it's not a traditionally, uh, you know, A to B to C narrative film or documentary, but there's certainly an emotional weight with those letters that I think gives it an extra layer beyond just like, Oh, those are cool shots, <laughs> you know? So I'm kind of grateful for it as I am grateful for the both of you for talking with me about this incredible director who clearly like, I, you know, thinking about some of my favorite filmmakers, Kelly Reichardt, Gus, Gus Van Sant, Todd Haynes, Sophia Coppola, they're all fans, <laughs> you know, they, they all saw her work and felt changed by it. And to some degree, I, I understand that feeling because like, as I was ending or as I knew we were about to record, I kind of went, man, why can't I just watch everything? Why can't I just quit my job and watch Chantel Ackerman films and talk about them for three hours, you know? So thank you. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I like, don't know what she's trying to say always, but I always like felt moved in some way by all of these. I just, I really love her and I'm pretty excited that she has such a big output that I have like uh, so much left to see. <laughs> there's like, yeah, there's a lot I didn't get to and a few that we didn't, or I watched that we didn't discuss here. So part two. Oh yeah. There's going to, there's going to have to be a part two that there's so much left to talk about, you know, and if there's something you, you think is essential really quickly, you can sort of sum it up quickly if you want. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, I mean, it might be hard to do that, <laughs> you know, cause like her work is so complex, even it's, even when it's simple. Yeah. I mean, I'll just throw in that, like the captive surprised me. I mean, that's, I guess that's, a, that's one, the one movie I watched that didn't really have an autobiographical thing. Mm -hmm. Cause it was, it's based on Proust, I think. Yeah. Um, but I'll throw that one out there as one, that was pretty cool to watch and like maybe a little different. It actually reminded me a lot of like more of a Chabral film. Ooh. Okay. There's this sort of like um like quiet thriller aspect to it. Um I don't know if I call it essential viewing, but I definitely liked it a lot. Okay, cool. Uh yeah, I mean, I usually do like what were your three favorites that you saw? And you know, I sort of covered that within the episode too, but you know, John Dealman is probably her masterwork. So I'm going to put that at the top. And then number two would be portrait of a young girl at the end of the 1960s in Brussels. And number three would be news from home. 
I'm like, I'm actually kind of feeling the same about Jean Dielman. I, I love that movie. And this was my second time watching it. Um, and like, I, there were like multiple years between those two viewings because the first time was so intense. Um, it'll probably be like several years <laughs> before I watch it again. Um, if not more. Um, but I think it would still make my top three. I don't know if I can rank them in order, but <laughs> yeah, we'll put that in the top three just because it's so thought provoking. And because in, <laughs> in these times, it just like felt like a different movie than the first time I watched it. Um, so I just feel like, and I, so I guess I'm wondering like in six years or whatever, when I managed to watch it again, how is it going to feel when I watch it that time? I'm very curious about that. Um, or maybe like if I have kids, like <laughs> what it'll feel like when I have a kid maybe, or like, I just feel like that's one that will be, that probably resonates very differently at different times in your life. So for that, that virtue, I'll put it in my top three. Um, and also news from home, just, I, um, yeah, there's something about, um, just like the letters against these static shots that really like spoke to me somehow. Um, and it's another one of those, those films where I was kind of just like, um, I just felt the time passing, but it was in kind of a pleasant way. Um, I mean, I know Jim, you go into work. I I've been working from home this whole time. So I definitely like feel like I have a lot of time to fill and so Chantal Ackerman just like worked really well with this time in my life where um, in her films, you feel the time passing. And I was like, well, I feel the time passing anyway. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and then I think Travels of Anna was, was my other probably top one. Um, and that's just because that, I mean, I, I almost feel like, um, I need to watch that again to really understand what I was watching, but it's just so beautiful. And I think I really like Aurora Clement. Um, I just like was fascinated by her acting and I'm like a person who loves acting and I love talking about it. And she's just like very, very expressive despite, um, like most of the acting she does is really just like with her body and face and not she's not like overly expressive. She's just sort of like receptive um, in a way that I thought was really amazing. And she's not really an actress I'm not familiar with. So it made me want to explore more of her work, which is always a fun feeling. Well, folks, that's the end of this show. And if you're wondering why it's ending like this, well, we had some technical difficulties that caused the track to get deleted. But let's end with Sharon's top three Ackerman films, which would be Meetings with Anna, Golden 80s, as well as food, family, and philosophy. Please follow both of my guests on Letterboxd. Links are in the show notes. Stay tuned until late May for the next official episode on Louis Mall, as well as some birthday bonus surprises coming your way. Thank you again to my amazing guests for talking Chantal Ackerman. Sorry that this episode ended so strangely, <laughs> but you can thank the wonders of technology for being so faulty. Visit directorsclubpodcast.com, nowplaynetwork.net, Thanks, everybody, for listening, and be safe. I'm Jim Laskowski. Bye-bye. Elle nous fait un petit concert à propos de son Robert. Elle 